you need to be literate in AI. And if I narrow it to the area I'm working in today, literate in natural language. What that means is typically you don't need researchers. Uh, you, um, a lot of what you need to know about the language model is uh, at the level of common sense, uh, maybe the level of a data scientist that can work with data, understand it, play with it, and, and experiment with it. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. 20 Minute Leaders is a proud supporter of Make-A-Wish Israel and Tech2Peace, and is in proud collaboration with Secret Chord Ventures, J Ventures, Riverside FM, Fusion VC, Birthright Excel, J Impact, Leap, Google for Startups, and Hippo, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello and welcome to a very special episode with Professor Yoav Shoam, one of the world's leading experts in computer science and today specifically natural language processing with AI21 Labs. Yoav Shoam is a professor emeritus of computer science at Stanford University. A leading AI expert, Professor Shoam is fellow of AAAI, ACM, and the Game Theory Society. Among his awards, are the IJCAI Research Excellence Award, the AAAI-ACM Allen Newell Award, and the ACM Sigai Autonomous Agents Research Award. His online game theory course has been watched by close to a million people, and Professor Shaw has founded several AI companies, including Trading Dynamics, acquired by Ariba, Petango and Timeful, both acquired by Google, and AI21 Labs. Professor Shaw also chairs the AI Index Initiative, which tracks global AI activity and progress, and WeCode, a nonprofit initiative to train high-quality programmers from disadvantaged populations. Thank you, Yoav. I'm very excited to share this episode. Yoav, I'm trying to make sense of this world that we're in. Co-founder of AI21 Labs, you're both a research, leading research R&D, a vehicle. At the same time, you're also building tools for developers, like the developer platform, but you're also building uh, products for en- for enterprises and businesses. And so you're taking the most advanced cutting edge natural language processing technologies and you're bringing them to real world. And this is not a trivial idea because we're still figuring out what are we doing with NLP and how is this going to integrate into our everyday life? So tell me a little bit about the founding of AI21 Labs uh, and and what sort of brought you into this world. So AI21 Labs is an unusual company in a number of respects. And one of them is the reason we started the company. We started the company not because there was one particular problem we wanted to solve, but because where we saw AI in the historical perspective. If you go to a website called AIindex.org, This is a project that I started at Stanford about five years ago, and it puts out annual reports about the state of AI, both technological progress, but also just quantity of activity, whether it's the number of students taking classes or attendance at conferences or VC money or what have you. And all these, um, all of those graphs are U-shaped. Back in the 80s, AI was very, very popular. Then back in the 90s, you weren't allowed to admit you were doing AI, and now the AI winter. And, um, and now my plumber is doing AI, 
but it's different, very different kind of AI. Uh, back in the eighties, it was all about symbolic systems, how to represent knowledge, how to draw inferences, sometimes in logic, sometimes not. Um, there was sometimes a probabilistic component, uh, but machine learning was always there as an intellectual activity, but didn't play a key role, certainly not in any of the deployed systems. And wasn't as, you know, people spoke about expert systems. It uh, wasn't as bad as some people think, but it certainly overpromised, and therefore we entered what was called the AI winter. Now, the pendulum has swung back. Everybody's doing AI, but it's very different. Now, it's all about statistics, uh, specifically under the heading of machine learning, and these days, even more specifically, deep learning. And um, it's amazing. What we can do now with machine learning is something that, honestly, I think few of us imagined we could do. Um, and the methods have evolved, but mostly uh, we now have data at scales that are, you know, again, hard, we're hard to imagine. And we have a compute power that, again, is just infinite. And now you can do pattern recognition, object classification uh, of all kinds um, incredibly reliably. And uh, you saw the impact in uh, machine vision first. Uh, and there, pattern recognition, object recognition, such a, a clear, present, and important problem uh, that it was natural to tackle it. And you saw that there were advances uh, that were dramatic. Uh, people speak about ImageNet, the collection of, you know, now many thousands of photos where you can suddenly label the photos or cluster them and so on. You didn't see uh, that dramatic uh, impact in language until about five years ago. Um, and the problem is that you don't have the analog of object recognition in language. When you think about it, it vision is easy, quote unquote, to recognize that this is a bottle. It doesn't really matter what this pixel over here on the left is. But there's nothing local and simple in language. Uh, I sometimes say that vision, machine vision, is a lens into the human eye, and language is a lens into the human mind, because there's no thought as complicated as you'd like that you can't express in, in language. But that means it's also much harder for computers to make sense of language. But then we saw the needle start to move because of the particular brand of neural nets uh, called transformers, as is well known. Um, and then suddenly you saw the needle move. A lot of the academic benchmarks that kind of puttered along for a while, suddenly computers' uh, approach sometimes exceeded human-level performance. But the truth is that it's a little bit of uh, an illusion. Um, the, the, these so-called language models are incredibly powerful, and we'll, we'll speak about them. They do amazing things. They do enable things that are amazing, but they're also limited. Um, and um, if you go to a popular language model, for example, GPT-3 or our own Jurassic One, uh, and you ask it to complete sentences or to answer questions, they'll often do amazingly well. Uh, for example, surprisingly, you'll ask it to add two-digit numbers and it'll give you the right answer. 
you ask it, whether in mathematical notation or in words, uh, how much is 11 plus 12? Or even you, you could even say, uh, I had 11 uh, apples and I bought uh, 12 apples. How many apples do I have? And by and large, you'll get the right answer. You'll ask it to add four-digit numbers, you'll get an equally confident answer that is total nonsense. Because these models really don't understand addition. They memorized many of the examples, the training data. They did some amount of generalization, but certainly uh, don't understand arithmetic. Um, and we have this amazing invention. Uh, we haven't uh, announced it yet, but um, how to do addition. We call it the calculator. Um, and so, um, so, so really, you know, this, you know, the sixties HP gave us a calculator that does a job well. Why try to reinvent a wheel and, and come up with a crooked one? So mathematics is a simple example of reasoning that isn't natural for a neural net, uh, to engage in, um, ask it to do other sorts of reasoning, temporal reasoning, spatial reasoning, uh, it'll do some amount of it, but not robustly. Uh, another problem is those language models understand. So remember, language models, the, 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 the term is a little misleading because you initially might think it's a model that learns the rules of language, grammar and syntax and so on. And it does that, but if it learns much, much more. It learns about the world as described by the text on which it was trained. And so you'll ask it, uh, what is the capital of France? You'll get the right answer. You'll ask it who is the president of the United States. It'll tell you Donald Trump, um, because at the time of the training, that was the case. Uh, you might ask Donald Trump and it'll give you the same answer, but most people would not. And so it doesn't have access to current information. It certainly doesn't have access to proprietary private data. And we, and, and we know how to access those things. And so we. We founded the company based on the premise, which we, we still believe in, that language, la language models are necessary, but not sufficient. We, uh, are, um, um, we um, can use these language models to do a lot of work, but we need to augment them with symbolic reasoning and access to real-time data and so on. So that's the reason we started the company. So we're, we're talking about a lot of these transformational ideas that we've had over the last five years. We've had these models exceed benchmarks and we understand that it's not necessarily sufficient. And, and we obviously have the recent, uh, the, the recent noise about sentience, et cetera. Where I'm, you know, if I'm looking at AI21 Labs, you've positioned the company at the intersection of research, which you're, what you're talking about, you're, you're advancing the, the state of the art models. Uh, whether it be foundational models or specific use cases, but you're also creating offerings for the world. So tell me a little bit about balancing those two as a company, and then we'll dive deeper into the, the research-oriented aspects. So I started by saying that we're an unusual company, and one in what, one respect is the reason we started the company. I discussed that. Another is what you're discussing. We, we decided early on, and I should say who we are, I started with my partner Ori Goshen, uh, and uh, very shortly afterwards, Amnon Shashua joined as a, as a co-founder, not as just as an investor. And uh, we were, uh, we did not want to just create a research lab. Um, nothing wrong with that, but we really wanted to create a large business. So the question is what products or services we wanted to build 
that relates to um, this deep technology that we were contemplating. And uh, here, honestly, in an ironic way, we were limited uh, because we looked at many applications. There's text everywhere. We looked at legal tech, at e-discovery. We looked at healthcare, electronic patient records. We looked at construction tech, mega projects where there's text all day. Uh, we looked at enterprise applications. We even had a prototype running in the enterprise that implemented a playbook for sales teams that rather than have a sales, uh, uh, a, a, a playbook that perhaps is read once by an incoming uh, sales executive, if that, and never again, uh, imagine uh, a playbook that's live, that's reading your email with you, it'd give you contextual advice based on the text. And what we realized pretty quickly was that all of these could be wonderful businesses, but they don't make enough contact with the types of innovation uh, that we wanted to bring to bear. So in an ironic way, it limited us to applications that required this deep technology. And so our mission is to change how we produce and consume information, and specifically how we write and how we read. Because when we think about it, the way we write today is the way a product manager at Microsoft decided in 1980. And that's true even if you're writing in GDocs or Gmail, you have, you have advances, you have collaboration, you have spell checking, you have autocomplete, but the fundamental experience hasn't changed. And when we think about reading, uh, we're executing on the vision of, uh, you know, from, you know, of Gutenberg from the 15th century with a printing press. Somebody put out a piece of paper or a screen and we look at it. And we think that both of these experiences, which are intertwined, by the way, uh, can be radically rethought if you take AI as a basic building block and turn the machine into a thought partner in this creative uh, process. And so that's our mission. And which means that uh, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, do, we, we started out by building our, our own applications. A year and a half ago, we, uh, we released our first product called WordTune, which focuses purely on the writing side. And uh, honestly, it's, it's a, a first step of a much longer road, the tail end of which looks like total science fiction, uh, except it'll all be done in two years. Um, but even this first step was fairly transformational. I can speak about WordTune because it's very different from other writing assistants uh, that are out there. I, I want to delay for a second on, on what you just said. The long tail will look like science fiction, yet we're talking about a, pr a prism of two years. This is a really foundational idea that I'm trying to understand here. We have these remarkable advancements that are progressing so quickly and we're breaking the benchmarks on, on a, almost a weekly basis at this point. How is the world going to respond or going to be impacted by, for example, the tale of, of WordTune, the science fiction, so to speak? Do you, how do you experience or consciously think about the way that teams around the world are going to experience NLP, enterprises are going to, to bring NLP into their work? So NLP is a very broad umbrella. Really, language is an interface to everything, to the way between people, but also uh, a new way to interact with machines. And so when we speak about the impact, it's a very broad discussion. 
But if I limit a discussion of how it'll impact how we write, for example, just to make it narrower, um, maybe uh, I can best explain it by an analogy. Uh, if you're writing a book or an article in a prestigious magazine, uh, you used to have a copy editor. I don't know if the people still have it because machines do it well. Spell checking, grammar correction, uh, that's commodity. It, you know, you can do it. But you also have an editor. And the editor is really a thought partner. They look at it and they're experienced and say, listen, this part doesn't capture what you have in mind. Or these two paragraphs don't cohere. Or this whole section isn't really adding to the story. This editor doesn't replace you, but it makes you a better version of yourself. And I think that's what we'll see in writing assistance, a really a thought partner in the writing process. And that's just one case, writing. Right. And, and obviously we have, what you mentioned in the beginning was this idea that these foundation models understand the information that we have, they, at least pertaining to the time that they were trained in pretty significant ways, whether it, and, and these can come about in conversational AI, these can come about in contextual learning or, or within uh, organizations' information. And so we'll see some transformative uh, solutions over there, I'm sure, and, and I'm sure that AI21 Labs will have a piece of that as well. Going back to Jurassic One, foundation models and where we're at today in, in 2022, breaking the boundaries. Talk to me a little bit about symbolic reasoning as, a, as, a, as, a, as an idea where of, of in hybrid with deep learning to advance the boundaries of foundation models. Um, so first of all, Jurassic One, the, the model we built, um, you know, more than a year ago, um, is, is not neurosymbolic. It's purely a neurosystem, uh, very much inspired by GPT-3. We were enthusiastic users of GPT-3. We're still big fans of, of, of OpenAI, but, uh, for a variety of reasons, we felt we, uh, uh, we needed to, um, to have our own model. And so, so it's a, a similar sort of model, so-called autoregressive left to right model. Uh, it has some important differences, but it didn't break the mold in fu fundamental ways. Uh, it's just a very good workhorse. Um, it's still the only large model that by large, I mean more than a hundred billion parameters that's available to third parties to, to, to work with. Um, but, um, it was clear to us that that's a basic workhorse, a necessary but not sufficient con condition. And uh, so there's a variety of innovations in purely neural approaches, and they're important, and we can speak about them. Uh, you know, insights about uh, tweaking the architecture, about training longer, uh, about various attention mechanisms, uh, all very important. Um, also, um, ways of interfacing these models through prompt engineering, prompt tuning, and other methods that try to coax out of this huge model uh, information that is there, but uh, wouldn't come out if you didn't goad the model into revealing it. Um, but as I said at the beginning, we believe all of that is necessary, but not sufficient, because there are certain things that these neural models are not good for. They're not optimized for. Uh, maybe if you let the neural net train for years and, you know, multiply the size by 
10 and their training time by 100 and spend not $30 million to train them, but, you know, $1 billion, um, they'll generalize more and they'll learn all kinds of stuff that I'm sure will be interesting. It's not at all clear that they'll learn mathematics as we know it. Um, but we know how to do mathematics. And so it seems so obvious to us that we should have the best of both worlds, have the statistical entrance uh, and statistical access to world knowledge. I don't want to use the term understanding. That's a loaded term. But a, 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 a good way to get at statistical knowledge, textual and also non-textual knowledge of the world and augment it with uh, structured knowledge, real-time information, and optimized reasoning that's optimized for certain islands of knowledge. And that was Jurassic X is, which we announced a couple of months ago. Phenomenal. So if you're looking at AI21 Labs as, a, as an entrance, right now you're mentioning that Jurassic 1 is still one of the only use cases for third parties to be able to interact with these large models. Well, where are we headed in terms of these foundation models? Very pragmatically in terms of applications for, for businesses and enterprises. So we have these large models. We know how expensive they are to train. We know that the, the, how difficult it is for, it's, it's not that, that any research team and any organization can go ahead and train these models and create them. Is this something that we're, we're expecting to have the integration of in the next couple of years? Is, do you expect that every small business will have access to create their own applications or to use sort of these black box applications by companies like AI21 Labs? How, how do you see the sort of the near future in terms of our use cases with these word models, these language models? So the short answer is yes. Um, these language models or foundation models, if you want to enlarge it to things that are not purely linguistic, um, uh, are becoming uh, much more generally available. They will become more so. Uh, models such as Jurassic One, um, a year from now, will be commodity. This is an area where you need to run to stay in place. And so the innovation will continue at a fast pace. And, um, and increasingly, uh, uh, people, small businesses and large businesses will incorporate them in all their offerings. And in, in my opinion, because language is such a fundamental modality of interface. Um, there's a question of who will, who will trade these models? Uh, as they become increasingly expensive, um, will it be a smaller and smaller set of organizations? Um, there's also another issue, which is, I think, even more fundamental, is that th these are early days. Uh, people don't really know how to work with these models, what they're good for and how best to use them. And really, um, what you have right now is is akin to Henry Ford uh, announcing his great invention, uh, an engine, and sending an engine to people and say, go, have fun. Um, they're quite removed from the value proposition 
that an actual user or developer or organization can relate to. And so I think what you'll see two things, you'll see these models get not only more sophisticated, but also in, enveloped in layers that make it much closer to the application. And you'll see the market get educated increasingly. I think we ha we're, we're facing probably on the order of two years before there's more maturity, both inside the providers and consumers of NLP technology. So I'm taking us two years into the future right now, and I'm looking at the creator economy as a, almost a metaphor for the creation of, of language, right? I mean, it, it, I think it, it, it's, it suits perfectly here. I'm looking two years down the line when models like Jurassic One are commoditized and, and general access makes it easy for anybody to create content, uh, change content, analyze content. So what should we be doing now? so that in two years down the line, we can use these effectively and responsibly. I'm thinking even general things like the way that we communicate information, news articles, uh, public knowledge, what is truth? If a lot of people disseminate information that is semi-truth, right? How, how do you even think as, as a sort of as a cutting edge researcher here, who's pushing the boundaries and part of this running, how are you thinking through some of these, some of these questions? I think there are several sort of questions folded into your question. Um, you have to realize that, um, I'm sure you do, um, that, um, that, um, uh, you can't easily generate content with current models. You can generate seemingly cogent and useful stuff. If you go and, you know, prompt a model, you'll get surprisingly relevant things and a bunch of garbage. And, um, I know our organization, a publisher, a very big publisher who's been using, um, a large language model with a thought of uh, increasing the efficiency because they create a lot of content. So perhaps they can automate some of it and what they found all the savings they've had in the generation of the content is washed away by the need to prune, analyze, and vet the output of those because they are, they hallucinate, they don't make sense, they contradict themselves and all of that. And so I think we have uh, a way to go. Uh, and it's not only in creating better language models, uh, understanding that language models are general facility on top of which uh, you need to add a lot. So, um, in our application, um, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, WordTune or WordTune Read, or we now have a, a very fun, uh, uh, thing that doesn't even have a name, but if you, you can find it, it allows you to consume video, um, uh, more efficiently. And, um, um, in all of those cases, the language model was a basis essential, but definitely less than half of the work it took to actually provide, you know, a writer, writing assistance, a reading assistance, or a video skimmer. And so we have a lot of work to do, and it's not all about language models. There are, there's a good Tim foundation model that Percy uh, Liang and his many colleagues coined is not a bad term, it was a foundation, but 
a house needs more than a foundation. Foundation models are a good term because they do provide foundations for many applications that are based on language, I'll focus on language, on language. But when you build a house, a foundation is essential, but it's only part of the house. And to 100%. Basic engine with its foundation and turn into a useful product or facility or what, uh, takes a lot more work. And that's something that I think perhaps some people don't realize because it's easy to create fun demos. Uh, we, we just recently put out, uh, something called ask Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, ask RBG. And, um, it's, it's, I, it's, it, it, it didn't push technology in interesting ways. We, uh, fine tuned, uh, our model really not exactly fine tuned, but we, we trained the model, uh, so that it could, uh, mimic the style and content of what the late judge would, would have said in response to kind of legal questions. Um, and, um, and it's fun, but our purpose for putting it out was not to, you know, to tell the public, look how great AI is. That's part of it. But part of it is, you know, buyer beware. It does wonderful things and it's limited. And so, yeah, that's, that's the foundation model. I, 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 I looked into it and that was a pretty awesome, I have to say, and I was constantly thinking in my head, wow, people's brains are being mind are being blown away right now, because this is one of the first use cases that we see this interacting into our daily life in, in a really meaningful way. And you're right. I mean, there is a lot of noise out there and a lot of conversation around what this means. And obviously the whole conversation of, of sentience, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and, and I saw also, uh, something you posted on LinkedIn recently about this and I think it was your quote. I hope I'm not misquoting you for somebody else, but I think in one of the articles about RBG's um, demo that you've had, you said, I, I don't want people to be disappointed by the underperformance of current AI, and I don't want them to monger fear. And I think that's a, it's a pretty powerful idea, which is really explaining what, what you're saying here is that we have to understand really where we are, what's limited. But, but my, my issue is you have is that, you know, the public doesn't really understand what's happening, right? I'm barely able to keep up with the academic research and I barely understand myself, the limitations and the potential of what we have. So if I'm looking now at how, I mean, businesses around the world are going to run to want to implement a lot of these tools because it'll give an edge in whatever we do. So how, so what, what education do we need to provide? And at what layers do you think for organizations around the world? in two years time to be able to use, to use these, uh, these models effectively into our own use cases? Or do we need new positions within organizations? Do we need every organization to have researchers on board or specific PMs dedicated for this? How do we integrate the world into a new place where now these language models are, are being able to be integrated into our everyday life? It was very among organizations, of course, both in terms of their sophistication and their mission and their resources, but just as, you know, personal computers started to, um, infiltrate industry, uh, it was clear that you needed to be literate in computing. You need to be literate in AI. And if I narrow it to the area I'm working in today, literate in natural language. What that means is typically you don't need researchers. Uh, you, um, a lot of 
what you need to know about language model is uh, at the level of common sense, uh, maybe the level of a data scientist that can work with data, understand it, play with it, and, and experiment with it. And uh, my advice to, so we, when we put out Jurassic, we had 10,000 developers signed up. Uh, it, it, honestly, it was overwhelming. Um, so, I, you know, we don't have time to speak with all of them on a kind of personal basis. But when we do, um, my uh, advice is, first of all, dip your toes in the water. There's no substitute experience. Dip your toes in the water. And second, uh, think about the simplest use case in your business, your organization, where you have an intuition. It may not be the highest value. That's not important right now. But where the match with uh, uh, language is obvious. And err on the side of the simplest application. Don't necessarily rush to create a chatbot. Chatbots are hard. Uh, they don't really, well... Um, I don't want to diss my colleague, but they don't, they don't work. Um, <laughs> boy, if your dad here heard me say this, uh, we have a problem. Um, <laughs> um, the listeners may not know that your dad is one of the foremost, uh, researchers in AI and runs the uh, Google research activity in Israel is an amazing guy. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, the, um, um, take a simple, um, for example, um, we had, uh, I won't mention even the industry, but we had a company that had not a chat, bot, but they had a simple dialogue question answering, uh, to their offering to, to, uh, to users. It was kind of brittle because they had a set of questions and canned answers. And the chance that a question would match exactly, um, the, uh, one of the, you know, the art, you know, their bank of questions was very low and, but that really lends itself to, well, uh, to language, to diversify the question and understand which question is perhaps closest and diversify the answers. And, um, and that's a, an example of a relatively simple application that's well within the reach of current technology, and that doesn't call for a huge investment of resources or deep knowledge of natural language. So find a good problem, not the most complicated one, and start experimenting. So you have, you're a, an innovator and a researcher. What are you most excited about right now in natural language? Whether it's something that we have, something that we're working towards, when, before you go to sleep and you're thinking to yourself, wow, what crazy world we're in. What are you most excited about for today or for the future? To be honest, every day I go into the office, I'm blown away because people are doing such creative things. And every day I'm blown away by uh, something that they're doing that I would not have thought of. And so it's not one thing. Um, it's, um, it's, um, the, the possibilities are so exciting. Um, you know, we're focused on, on, on a particular mission of helping you write and helping you read. And, uh, and the idea that I could go and jot down some of my ideas 
And then the system will help me turn them into a whole narrative. Um, I find that exciting because I pride myself on how I express myself in writing. Um, and yet you see this, I'll tell you a story. Um, so one of my hobbies is wine and, uh, the, um, the, one of the best known critics in the, uh, wine critics in the world, uh, and the, 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 the best known uh, British critic is Jancis Robinson. Uh, she, um, and she has this newsletter. And, uh, what they have is, uh, an annual short story competition. And, um, and, um, so we had this, it wasn't even a product. It was, a uh, it's a fun demo. Um, so, you know, GPT three, the, the initial demos were, you know, write the first paragraph and it'll complete the whole story. But of course it would invariably go and meander and, you know, who knows where it goes. And so we said, rather than extrapolate from a, a, a starting point, why don't you give it the beginning and the end and have it interpolate, uh, between them. Uh, and, uh, with the thought was it'll give us more of a direction of where to go and maybe it'll meander less. Uh, the system was called Heim. Uh, and by the way, the, it invented its own name. Uh, we gave it the, the prompt. I'm a language generation system. My name is, and. One assistant was Hein. Um, and, um, and, uh, so we, we chose the name Heim. Of course we retrofitted an acronym. I think it was, um, what was it? I think it was a halfway adequate interpolation machine. But, um, uh, then the natural next step was to build Heimke. Heimke is Heim with K endpoints rather than best beginning of the end, build a whole bunch of I'll write a bunch of sentences. So that's what I did. I wrote, I think, six sentences about wine and out came a whole story. And the system was interactive. You said, oh, I didn't like this. Try again or make it shorter, make it longer. After a few tweaks like this, there was a story. It was kind of a fun story. And I sent it to her and she published it. Uh, and, um, and you know, that's so much fun to do. Now that wasn't a product. We're not yet at the stage where you can do this really in real life. But when you think about the possibilities here, it's just, it's, it's so fun. So, so you have, I, I can honestly, I am, I'm feeling your excitement even, even through this, uh, this, uh, remote podcast, but are you considering yourself more of a, a researcher and a, a, you know, a mathematician, computer scientist, a creative entrepreneur? I mean, who, who really is you have Sham? you know, you've been a professor emeritus at Stanford for dozens of years. You've, you've been a, you know pushing the boundaries of technology and research uh, pretty much your whole life. Yet I'm, I'm hearing you talk with so much excitement and joy about the applications of what some of these inventions are doing. So how, how do you sort of see yourself in this world? Um, well, it's not like they're mutually exclusive, right? Um, the nice thing is we have this luxury of build. So we like to build stuff, you know, um, the difference between, you know, being a scientist and being a creator, a science, a scientist tries to understand God, a creator is God. And, um, and so we're trying to, to do both. Um, it's a lot of fun to create. It's addictive. Once you've done it, you know, there's no going back. Um, it's a matter of personal taste. I have one of my best friends is, you know, maybe Israel's top mathematician and 
he loves proving theorems. Um, and he's, he's amazing at it. Um, I, maybe because I'm not as amazing at it, uh, I resorted to being a creator. So it's both, but, um, but it's creation based on deep principle, deep mathematics. So the combination appeals to me. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, not just for this last uh, 40 minutes, but for your work in general, I've been enjoying so much following the different things that you've been putting out there, both as a, as a professor and researcher, but also as an entrepreneur, uh, AI 21 Labs is one of the most uh, important companies today, pushing the boundaries of NLP, which is undoubtedly revolutionizing the world, I think in ways that very few uh, around the world still understand. And I, I honestly can't wait to see in two years time what, what will be of WordTune or any other product that AI 21 Labs does and, and how the world is going to respond to all of this. And I think we've raised some interesting questions here. We've only touched the surface on some of them and, and we're, I'm going to be thinking about them for much longer over these next two years. And I, I really appreciate your time and energy. Well, let's talk again in two years. 100%. Thank you very, very much. Mm -hmm.